Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Chapter number six today. Proverbs chapter number six. This concludes our seven things God hates series. Proverbs chapter number six. You can figure out probably what verses we are going to after these many weeks. You don't know I have failed you. Proverbs chapter number six. I'm going to start with verse number 12. Verse number 12. Good to see everyone in the house of the Lord. Amen. Come out the cold weather which really ain't no big deal because people do a variety of things in cold weather. But glad to see you make a choice to come out in cold weather to the house of the Lord. Proverbs 6 and 12, the Bible says, A naughty person, a wicked man, walketh with a forward mouth, he winketh with his eyes, he speaketh with his feet, he teacheth with his fingers, forwardness is in his heart, deviseth mischief continually he soweth discord therefore shall his calamity come suddenly suddenly shall he be broken without remedy these six things that the Lord hate yea seven are an abomination unto him a proud look a lying tongue and hands that shed innocent blood and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations feet that be swift and run into mischief and a false witness that speaketh lies, he that soweth discord among the brethren. Our focal points are verses 14 and 18 today, both of which speak about the heart, forwardness in the heart, deviseth mischief continually. The heart deviseth wicked imaginations. And so today I want to talk to you about a devising heart, a devising, a devising heart, amen, today in the closure of this series amen i'm going to ask us to pray today that the lord would touch me to speak you to hear amen in this place this morning father i come to you today god i'm thankful lord jesus for another opportunity to be in your house i'm praying god for your anointing god in this place lord you know god better than i do lord what needs to be accomplished here and so we lean upon those arms of god lord the wisdom of god the knowledge of god of what you have lord concerning people lives I pray, oh, Lord, today, God, if you can say something. Lord, say something, God, that would be meaningful, meaningful. Lord, God, for the benefit, God, of those that are here today. God, I'll not fail, Lord Jesus, to thank you and praise you, Lord Jesus, for what you accomplished today. God, I pray, Lord, that you're able to help us, God, in this setting, in this place. In the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ that I pray. Hallelujah, hallelujah, and amen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. More than once throughout this series alluded to the fact that the eyes, the mouth, the hands, the feet, all these different things that we have already studied up to this point do not act independently. They do not act by themselves. As a matter of fact, last week whenever we concentrated our attention on the feet, we understood that the feet were in reality some enablers. The feet enabled the eyes to 
see things that they would not otherwise be able to see if the feet had not went there. The mouth able to speak to people or such that they would not have been able to do had not the feet taken them there. Hands would not have been able to be involved in certain activities had it not been for the feet. But I do believe this morning there is another player that's involved in this masquerade, so to speak. There's another player. Might even like to call this player the coach of the team. Uh, it's calling the shots, if you will, and it is called the heart. Someone once said that you'll note concerning Proverbs 6 that the things that God hates are not only outward manifestations, but they also flow from a flawed fountainhead or a flawed origin, place of origin, which is the heart of man. If I were to take just real quick and ask you a question, and you can participate if it won't break you just being here. Amen. If I were to ask you this morning to point to yourself, where would you point? Huh? Most people, you don't go here. Point to yourself. Yeah. No, most people point right here somewhere in the chest region, somewhere toward that location of their heart. In biblical times, people understood the heart far, far differently than what we understand the heart today. To them, uh, the significance of the heart wasn't just the fact that, that it, it had some physical uh, implications of circulating the blood throughout our bodies and so on and so forth, but to them in biblical times, the heart was who you were, who you were, who you were at the heart of yourself. The heart was the center of the person. It was the core of the person. It was the origin of the person. Even today, we have borrowed to a certain degree some of that concept and some of that idea. We say things like, we need to get down to the heart of the matter. Right? We say things like, we need to get to the heart of the issue. Or even whenever some people are talking, even scientists, some people, they talk about the heart of the earth. They're talking about the center of it, the core of it. And so in all of these phrases, we're intending to get to the center of something or the core of something. In other words, we want to knock off all the fluff, if you will, and get to the bare bones of whatever the situation is. And so this morning, that being said, the heart is so important uh, just to the overall characterization of people, the overall characterization of mankind, that many times in the Bible, people are labeled who they were at the core according to their heart. The Bible throughout the scriptures, you can see it at different times. A person might be designated as having a wise heart or a good heart or a pure heart or being upright in heart, a righteous heart, a pious heart. They were trying to label who that person was, what type of person they were, but they always did it by making the label or the designation associated with their heart because who they were at the core, who they were at the center would be who they would be in the reality of life and all the other dynamics of life. And we know on a very physical level the impact that the heart has on our body. We know according to the anatomy and science how impactful the heart can be. But my question this morning, how impactful can your heart be in your Christian life? How impactful can your heart be in the life that you're trying to live for the Lord in a spiritual realm? The psalmist, or rather Solomon said in Proverbs 4.23, he says, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of 
life. Solomon tells us, this isn't a new verse, it's a, it's a pretty worn verse, but Solomon tells us that the heart is the origin of all the issues of our life. Now, that's a simple statement, but if you really consider every issue of your life can be directly tied back to a condition of your heart. Joy, sorrow, anger, vengeance, proud eyes, swift feet, Hands that shed innocent blood. Mouth that speak lies. They all can be tied back to the origin of the heart. Traced back to the heart. Solomon tells us, he says, as a result of that, he's very, he's very, he's very uh, uh, proactive here. He says, keep your heart. Or basically means this, guard your heart as a result of this. If you knew that there's some way that you could protect all the issues of your life and you could mainstream them in a, in a good or positive manner or direction, wouldn't you want to get to where the source of all that came and somehow influence or impact that so that it would have influence then in impact upon every other area of your life? Solomon says, I got good news for you. I've already done the research. It's your heart. And he says, so keep it. Guard it. Be as, if you will, an alert soldier constantly on duty whenever it comes to your heart amen because what we do with our heart and what we give our heart to will ultimately affect every other area of our life we see the negative side to this today just a little bit after eden everything it seems like after eden forward is somewhat tainted from the go Every place we read of the heart in Scripture from there after is a description of the heart now in its natural state after the fall of mankind. It is the description of an unredeemed heart. And the natural state or the tendency of the heart after the fall of man is a deplorable state. It is a negative state. It is not a well thought of state. As a matter of fact, the man spoken of in Proverbs 6, the Bible tells us that this man is not one that stumbles into sin, that accidentally steps into sin, but evidently he premeditates sin. He is devising mischief continually because of the forwardness of his heart. He doesn't stumble into sin. He doesn't accidentally roll over into sin, but he's constantly thinking about how can I sin? He is premeditating sin. He is devising, not just once, not just twice, not on the weekends and takes holidays off. He is devising continually how he can do this. We see this at different little heights throughout scripture. The man Haman in the book of Esther, he is a man that is after the heart, after the fall, of man he has a deplorable heart he has a wicked heart and so we see that he is premeditating some sin on a particular night when he is preparing and building gallows for Mordecai he's wishing very shortly 
to have the neck, the head of Mordecai in the gallows that he's preparing them. He's not preparing them, amen, to, to, to hang something from except a man, amen, that was innocent. And so he is premeditating some evil against Mordecai. In the New Testament scripture, we have the scribes and we have the high priest and we have all the high rulers. What are they doing prior to the crucifix of Jesus? It's not that accidentally these two groups of people just stumbled around and they met up at Calvary and lo and behold, Christ gets strung on a tree. No, they were premeditating. They were thinking continually how they might betray and even, if you will, snafu the Lord. They are plotting their vengeance against the Lord Jesus Christ. And so a man of a wicked heart, a fallen man, fallen humanity are looking for opportunities to do things that suits them. Amen. As a matter of fact, the primary reason for the notable flood in the scripture in the book of Genesis was because of the heart of man. Genesis 6 and 5 says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually the primary reason for the flood for the annihilation of all mankind and all living things upon the earth was because of the heart of man now let's pause here for a moment because we see here in verse 5 it seems that scripture makes a very similar connection that is made in Proverbs. And that is it says every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. It seems like scripture many times in different places makes a connection that this text makes. And that is a connection between the heart and between our imaginations. Between the heart and between our thoughts between our heart and between the will of man. We have the, the wickedness of man right here, the wickedness of man, the Bible says in Genesis 6 and 5, which probably means that men are wicked at their, their core. Amen. They're wicked at the very center. They're wicked at the very starting place of their heart. But that heart is having influence on their imaginations. Their heart is having influence upon their thoughts. It's having the influence upon their will. And so the result is this, since it's continual, this evil is widespread. It's not stopping because not only is it contained in the heart, but there's a connection between the heart and the thought. And if you got thoughts, then there's probably going to be some actions. And so it is a snowball effect. It is a domino effect. Evil heart produce evil imaginations that produce evil actions. And so we are just in a deplorable state right here. The Bible even says in Proverbs 6 that our wicked, naughty man has a heart that is devising wicked imaginations or continual mischief. The imaginations of the heart. It's nothing more. This is what that phrase in the Bible, the imaginations of the heart means. It's an expression to signify the first ideas, the first purposes, and the first motions of the soul. So the heart has an influence on your will. The heart has an influence on your will. And it's through a man's will, his imaginations, his thoughts, that he acts. 
I think I'm going to go to the store. I go to the store. I think I'm going to go brush my teeth. Go brush my teeth. I think I'm going to get dressed now. I get dressed. Is everybody okay today? And so throughout Scripture, when you look up imaginations, normally, after the fall of man, they're colored in a negative light. They're covered in a fallen condition. And what God, God didn't discover this. He didn't say this for his own personal discovery. He already knew this, but he did this for the sake of us, for the sake of humanity. What God reveals is this, is the type of thoughts and the type of imaginations that man has before the flood are the same after the flood. Because he says after the flood in Genesis 8, 21, that the Lord smelled a sweet savor. And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite anymore every living thing as I have done. God brings a revelation to humanity. Again, I don't believe he's relaying this. Because this is something he discovered. He's God. He already knew it. But I think he wanted us to know, number one, this. Man's heart and imaginations did not become evil, but they were evil from his youth. For that matter, after the fall of man, even from his birth, he's had this potential condition since birth. Number two, what I believe God wanted us to realize was this. I'm not going to destroy everything again due to this evil heart condition because the heart of man is the same after the natural disaster as it was before the natural disaster. I'm not going to destroy this earth again because of the heart condition because a natural thing cannot take care of a spiritual dilemma someone say amen he, he wasn't doing that as though he didn't know that but I think he wanted mankind to know that that there's nothing natural that can take care of the condition of the heart there's, there's nothing carnal that can take care of the condition of the heart. The condition of the heart, it got into this situation because of a spiritual flaw. And so it's going to take something spiritual to take care of the spiritual dilemma. So man, if you're searching for something, don't search for it through the natural for the heart. Don't search for it through the carnal through the heart. Search for the spiritual answer to your spiritual dilemma. feel like I'm working today. 2 Corinthians chapter number 10 and verse number 3. Then the apostle Paul states these words. He understood exactly what the Old Testament writer was saying in Genesis. Moses, he says, for though we walk in the flesh, he says, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. 
Paul says, when it comes to strongholds like imaginations, when it comes to strongholds like high things and, and things that are against God and, and thoughts that are not in, in obedience to God, when it comes to those things, he says, our warfare cannot be carnal. Our warfare cannot be natural. And so if the weapons are not carnal, they must be spiritual and they must be mighty through God in order for our imaginations to be cast down or altered. It is a work of the Spirit. Hallelujah. Yes. It's the work of the Spirit. If I may, if I may just superimpose Old Testament on Paul in his words here. Floods caused in a natural disaster will not cast down imaginations, Paul's saying in the modern day sense here. Natural things won't take care of a spiritual dilemma. All the way back in Genesis, what are you doing, God? I tell you what God's doing. God is preparing humanity for the answer to their flawed imaginations. He is preparing humanity for the answer to their flawed condition of heart. Amen. It wasn't carnal. It wasn't natural. It would be a spiritual work. Amen. Be a spiritual work. And here's one of the many reasons why carnal weapons or natural weapons will not work on the condition of the heart of man. Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 17 and verse number 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Keep that up there for a moment. We've already established that after Eden, after the fall of man, we've established that the heart was wicked. Jeremiah says the same. It's desperately wicked. But Jeremiah also tells us this. Above all things that the heart is, even above it being wicked, above it being wicked, the heart is deceitful. He said, if you think it can be really pernicious and wicked, he says, I got one that tops that. Above that, it is deceitful. In other words, you can't trust your heart. You can't trust your heart. What that's telling me is this. My heart can be misleading to me. My heart, that's why Jeremiah says, who can know it? Because whatever you, whatever kind of indication you're getting from your heart, it is pulling the wool over your eyes. Whatever type of feeling you're getting from your heart, honey, it's not telling the full story. It's deceiving you. You can't know your own heart. That's the reason why I'm taking it back when people say, well, I just kind of feel in my heart baloney. You can't trust your heart. We can't naturally, for that matter, we can't know our heart. Our heart deceives us. Naturally, we can't discern that there's even a problem with our heart. Because our heart says everything's fine. Everything's okay. You're doing good. Things are great. The fallen heart of humanity, that's what it says, but it's a deceiver. It's got you totally snowballed, friend. You know how people are self-deceived today? By their hearts. 
thinking they're okay in living the way they are living? You know who tells them that? Their heart. Although their actions may betray what supposedly they say they live, the hearts, how in the world can they do that? Brother McGee, how in the world in the world could they do all these things and say they're okay? I tell you how their heart has deceived them. Who can know it? So what we have today is a very, very major di- dilemma. It appears as though humanity has a real problem on its hands today. Because at our core, we have a problem in our heart that infects every other area of our lives. It infects our thoughts. It infects our imaginations, our will. It infects our actions. And yet the problem is a problem of the heart. Yet it's deceitful. And I'm not truly aware of the true condition of my heart. My heart's become the label of my life. And a carnal answer ain't going to take care of it. A natural answer ain't going to take care of it. And on top of it all, I can't even realize how bad the situation is because my heart's deceiving me. And then, watch it now. I want to get you depressed this morning. Watch it. Adding insult to injury, the, the Bible says in Proverbs... That forwardness is in his heart. And that's not F-O-R, that's F-R-O. Peculiar. Forwardness comes from the root word in the Hebrew, meaning to turn about. To change. Change is in his heart. A turning of about or back and forth is in his heart. It's taken from the idea of a flask that is full of ointment. And then the forwardness is the idea of it being able to be turned over and all of the substance and ingredients being poured out or consumed in the act of turning it over. What, the, what the, the proverb writer is this saying that forwardness is in the heart or the heart is susceptible, it's susceptible rather, to change. It's susceptible, susceptible to vacillate. One, one time it's this way, another time it turns about, it turns over. It's one way one time and it's another way the other time. It's in this way, then it's in that way. He'll be headed in one direction, then he'll head in another direction. There's forwardness that's in the heart. As a matter of fact, the writer of Proverbs also said in Proverbs 11 and verse 20, they that are of a forward heart are an abomination. Man, I'm getting depressed. An abomination to the Lord. The Lord detests. A forward heart. One that's constantly changing. One that's always volatile. Here one moment, there the next moment. He can't stand for that. It's an abomination to him. I just don't know if there's any hope for us this morning. I just, got to take a load off here for a moment. I got a problem that labels me for everything that I am. It impacts my thoughts, my imaginations, and impacts my actions. I got a condition that by all natural means, I can't do anything about it. And I can't even trust myself because myself is deceiving myself. And there's forwardness since the fall of man in my heart. I have this, I have this, this, this proclivity to change and to turn over and to alter and in my heart. And God hates that. It's an abomination to him. 
He detests that. And I'm getting depressed here coming up to the Christmas season. Jeremiah saying, who can know it? Who can know the heart? I don't know other people's hearts. And for sure I can't even know my own heart. Who can know it? But Jeremiah goes on in verse 10. He says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. I don't know my own heart. I don't know other people's hearts. I can't naturally do anything to impact my heart but God. Some would say, but God. But God knows the heart of humanity. He knows the spiritual answer to your spiritual dilemma. While I'm thinking here within myself, Brother Terry, this sounds bad for the home team. I am hopeless. This thing's not going to change. I'm deceived by myself. There is a power. There is a being. There is an almighty God that is attuned to the condition of my heart. He is attuned to the thoughts and the imaginations of my mind. He is attuned to the actions of my life. And God searches the heart when I don't know it. God knows it. When my friends don't know it, God knows it. When the pastor don't know it, God knows he knows it that's how even in the Old Testament when the Lord spoke to the prophet Samuel because he was at Jesse's house to anoint one of those boys king and he's thinking that the first the oldest is going to be king the Lord spoke to Samuel and said for the Lord seeth not as man seeth for man looks on the outward appearance because that's all man can see. But the Lord looketh on the heart. Uh, someone say amen. Mm, in a figurative way, in a literal way, we can't see our heart unless you take it out of your body. Or you have some type of instrumentation hooked up to you and you see a blob that they say, there it is right there. There's your heart. You see the bumping. But in a very figurative, very spiritual sense today, man can't see the true heart because that heart, that heart that he has is deceiving him. So Samuel, the Lord spoke this to Samuel concerning whenever he's going through the line anointing them and he ends up anointing David. But I don't know if this is what took place, but this is where my mind went as I was looking at this week, that Samuel maybe perhaps must have <clears throat> conveyed this reality of God searching the heart, knowing the heart unto David because David even employs this understanding and knowledge in his own life because David cries out to God in Psalms 139, verses we love, verse 22, or 23 rather, and says, search me. Oh God, and know my heart. You know why you need to invite God in to search you and know your heart? Because you don't know it. And he says, try me and know my connection, heart and imaginations, heart and thoughts, heart and will. He says, and know my thoughts. And look, verse 24, and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. 
Someone say amen. I submit to you this morning that our heart condition demands a God intervention. Our heart condition demands a God intervention. The heart of man has been condemned and will continue to be condemned if it goes unaltered and if it goes unchanged. As a matter of fact, the heart of fallen men will influence every human action in our lives. It will generate and produce imaginations and thoughts that are unwholesome. But we are deceived concerning all of this. But thank goodness God is not deceived. And nothing natural can fix it, but God can fix it. Now look at this for a moment. This was interesting to me. I got out my whiteboard this week and I did my... My map, and sometimes my sermons are sermon maps on a whiteboard before they ever get on paper. And it's quite hilarious if you were to walk in on it. And I'm looking at this board. And Brother Mason, this is not my week for it, but it seems like Wednesday night I touched on it too. The idea that there was a paradox. And what that basically means, so anybody don't know what paradox means, it seems that there's something that seems to be self-contradictory or absurd, but at the same time expresses a very profound and evident truth. And so there's a paradox there's a paradox in this very thing because listen to me what is repulsive to God about the heart forwardness turning over this direction that direction what is repulsive to God about the heart its ability to change its ability to turn over is the very thing that allows for repentance is the very thing that allows for repentance the heart's tendency to change is both its damning point and its redeeming point. You go home and you just think about it. And it was this knowledge that David used to his favor after his notorious sin with Bathsheba. When in his prayer of Psalms 51 and 10, he says, create in me a <laughs> Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Are you hearing me today? Listen, not only is God able to search our hearts, and not only is God able to know our hearts, but he is able to lead our hearts. And ultimately, as David said, create in us a new a new heart. Ezekiel said, I'll take the stony heart out of them and I'll put a new heart in them and a new spirit in them. David said, create it. That word create is the exact same word create that is used in Genesis 1 and 1. How God created the heaven and the earth. It's the exact same create. And what that means this is God's not fashioning something, amen, fashioning something that's already in existence, but God is initiating something into existence that never was. Whenever David says, create in me a new heart, that's not God fashioning on the heart that David has, but that is God initiating something brand new. 
God initiating something brand new. And so God can create a new heart in us. Amen. And I, this is the way that I like to see it. God can create a new heart in us that is in a pre-Eden, a pre-humanity fall conformat with a post-Calvary experience. No, 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 no. Man had a heart before he ever fell. Amen. But he fell and that somehow influenced and corrupted the heart. But in the beginning, man had just a really, really, he had a good heart. Amen. But he failed that that polluted everything. What I'm saying is whenever God creates a new heart in us, he can give us a pre-Eden, a pre-failure format, but with a Holy Ghost past Calvary experience. Because not only do you get the new heart, you get the new spirit. God searches your heart. God knows your heart. God can influence change. The very thing that's a damning point to you of your heart changing, God can do one final change of repentance in your life and give you a new heart. I'm just going to run through some scriptures here. Just listen well. The Bible says, For the word is nigh even, even in thy mouth and in thy heart heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Another place the scripture says ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. Hebrews 4.12 says for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two edged sword piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit of the joints and marrow is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness for it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace I really anticipated a little more excitement whenever I read off those verses but that's okay amen because not only is God able to do all these things not only is God able to do all these things he has the ability listen when you have a wicked heart, it has a negative effect on everything. But when you have a pure heart, it has a positive effect on everything. I'm working today. After Saul's first anointed by, after Saul's first anointed by prophet Samuel, where he gets before Samuel and Samuel pours that anointing oil upon Saul in the presence of Samuel. Samuel told Saul, this is what he spoke to him. You can read of it in 1 Samuel 10 if you want to do that in your leisure. But Samuel told Saul, he said, you, thou shalt become another man. You will become another man. Hallelujah. And then while Saul is leaving Samuel, the Bible says that God gave him another heart. He says, you shall become another man. But as he was leaving, God in that moment gave him another heart. And just in a short time later, we see Saul among the prophets prophesying. And he's doing things that he had never done before. And people are even saying, is this Kish's son? Is this Saul? Is that who it is? Why? Because initially, God gave him another heart. And the prophecy came true. He became another man. Because whenever your heart gets pure, it affects every area, every It'll affect your thoughts. It'll affect your imaginations. It'll affect your actions. It'll influence the condition of your life. Hallelujah. 
Is this the son of Kish? Is that Saul? Yeah. Yeah. Saul did not become another man until God gave him another heart. No wonder then. In the different lists, whether they be found in the Old Testament or the New Testament. No wonder then in the different lists that admonish us to love God. They always, always start. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of thy. It goes on and talks about with thy mind and with thy soul. Some of them say with thy strength. But in every verse, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, Sometimes mind and soul can be inverted or strength might be there or not be there. But you'll always find, first and foremost, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of your heart. Because if you get it in the heart, the core, the center, imaginations, thoughts, actions follow suit. They come in marching order behind the condition of the So we have this connection between our hearts and our thoughts or our will, our imaginations. You know what repentance does? Repentance capitalizes on the tendency of our heart to change and turn over and uses it in a positive direction. Repentance in its most basic meaning is a change of mind. But what that implies for us, if there's a change of mind, if there's a change of thought, what that implies to us from what we've learned thus far already in this lesson today is that if there is a changed mind, there must have been a changed heart. And all that means for us today is this. If that is so, then there will ultimately be a change in behavior. There will ultimately be a change in behavior. Proverbs 16, 9. A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. Man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his, his steps. Remember, <laughs> there is that, that opening for the Lord to do a work upon the heart. He uses that, that thing that is detestable to him of change in his favor for an ultimate change. And then sets a new direction in our heart. Gives us another heart, a new heart. Though it seems like the heart is devising the way the Lord is ordering the steps. How? How can this be? How can, how can the heart of man devise the way, premeditate the way, plan the way, but then ultimately when things are carried out, the Lord is ordering steps. Because that would almost seem to be there's some type of disconnect. What's, what's coming from here and here is not just what's going on. It's not, 
it's not being acted out the way that I preconceived it. It's not how how can this be? I believe First John tells us how this can be in verse three and verse twenty. For if our heart condemn us, that's the heart every one of us had. A heart, a condemning heart, cause you to do condemning things. He said, if our heart condemn us, God is greater. Somebody say, God is greater. God is greater than our heart. That's how the heart of man can devise a way. But God directs the steps because God is greater than our heart and knoweth all I'm telling someone here today there is hope for you friend there is hope for you sir there is hope for you madam I know you thought you had a spiritual dilemma in your heart that no natural or carnal thing could take care of I know you had a dilemma in your life that you were deceived by and maybe you're not totally aware of because of that deception I know it seemed like there was that forwardness of constantly changing around in your life that seemed to be to your detriment but I'm here today if your heart condemns you if your heart is condemning you to hell if your heart is condemning you to sin if your heart is condemning you to iniquity I got some good news for you God is greater than our heart he can give us another heart he can put a new heart there a new spirit there place a love there change its character from pernicious ways to greatness of God working in tandem with humanity is how David comes back in Psalms 57 Or he had his prayer, created me a new heart, oh God. Clean heart, rather. Create me a clean heart. I need something done, Lord. I need something done. Do it, do it. And David, who is through Acts, even the Old Testament, a man that is after God's own. A man that is he's a man that after God's own heart. God became greater than the condemnation that David's heart was trying to bring in his life. And David says in Psalms 57 and 7 to the Lord, look now, something different. My heart, Psalms 57 and 7, I don't know if I got that up there. My heart is fixed. My heart is fixed, O God. My heart is fixed. I will sing and give After the fall, turn over, change every which way heart. After he creates the new heart. I'll put a heart in you. I know I despise that changeableness, but the paradox is the changeableness is what allowed this ultimate change. But now I'm placing in you 
with your help, a heart that will remain fixed. As long as I allow the operation of God's Spirit in me, my heart can remain fixed. I find that they kind of are messed up and they are given back to that change mentality whenever we do not allow the reoccurring spirit and wooing and presence of the Lord huh? upon our life. That's whenever we're looking like a horse for an open gate. David says, my heart is fixed. It's fixed. It's, and he was a man after God's own heart. If you'll stand with me today, I'll, I'll close with this. I don't believe you all have this up there, but that's okay. First Chronicles 28 and 9. First Chronicles 28 and 9. David now in a position that his days no doubt are numbered upon the earth and sharing some wisdom and understanding with his son. And he says, And thou, Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father. Solomon's who's wrote Proverbs. Our little seven things God hates stuff. David says, Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father and serve him with a perfect heart. Which basically means a mature heart. Stop being a kid. Serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing he's still making the connection with the thoughts and the imaginations and with a willing mind for the Lord he's telling him everything that he's learned it I mean it's like he's taken the sum total of what he's learned it's taken him a lifetime to learn and he's given it to his son in a nutshell he said for the Lord searcheth all hearts and understandeth all the imagination and thoughts I'm going to pause here the Lord understands all the imagination and thoughts. Just because God understands all imagination and thoughts does not necessarily mean he agrees with. I think sometimes we confuse that if somebody understands something, then they agree with it. That's incorrect. Understanding does not equal agreement. God understands all the imaginations of the thoughts. And he says, if thou seek him, he will be found of thee, but if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. So if you walk with a perfect heart, a willing mind, God searches all of these, understands the thoughts, but don't leave off seeking him and incorporating him in your life. So up mostly today, God hates heart that deviseth wicked imaginations and forwardness in a heart that deviseth mischief continually ultimately because who you are at your core is who you will be who you are at the center of your life is who you will be so you got to ask your question yourself a question today who am I at the core of my life? Who am I? Don't deduce it on your own. You're liable to be fooled. 
Maybe you need to be like David and say, God, search my heart. Because I need to know who I am at my core. I need to know who I am at my core. And I need to know whether or not that's an abomination to you or this is something that you're pleased with. I need to know whether this is something that you detest or if this is something that you welcome. I need to know who I am because I don't want to be living on the hate radar of God. This morning, I think it's vitally important today that before we leave this house of worship, we had asked the great physician to kind of peel back, you will, the layers of the skin and and break, if you will, our chest bones so we can have a view of who we are at our core today. Who we are at our core today. Because it's very revealing about who we will be. If we bow our heads in this place this morning, this is concluding the seven things that God hates today. A very positive turnaround in the right direction then in my estimation would be allowing the Lord to come down he already does see it but if we would invite him to search it we'd invite him to search it that aspect of our heart being susceptible to change God can God can use for a change through repentance a cleansing a renewing and initiating brand new heart and placing a new spirit there today brother mcgee i've had all that i can mark the the date on the calendar and the year when it happened what i was wearing and where i was standing at what church building when it all took place that's great friend but you must continue you must continue that influence of the master upon the fountainhead of your life your heart these altars are open today I know there's people tired in here this morning. I know there's people that maybe you're grumpy about the cold weather and maybe you're just not real happy to be here today. But I'm asking you to just take a moment of time, just a little consideration for the few nouns and verbs I put together this morning. Think about your heart. Just think about your heart. What is the condition of my heart? It'll be the condition of my life. What is the condition of my heart? It'll be the condition of my life. These altars are open this morning. Seven things that God, I don't want to be, I don't want, I do not want to be on the hate list of God. I do not want to be on the hate list of God because of actions. Your heart will condemn you today, but God is greater than your heart. God is greater than your heart. If we can sing today, brother and sister Mason, or sister Mason rather, if we can just sing today, amen, just create an atmosphere in here for being introspective. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.